Welcome to Foster Care Stories, where each episode we get to meet someone impacted by foster care in America and hear their story. I'm your host, Amber, and I've been a foster parent since 2013, and my passion is advocating for everyone in the foster care system to be heard and valued. Let's listen in. Well, welcome to Foster Care Stories, Elizabeth. Thank you so much. Good to be here. For those listening, um, my sister, Elizabeth, is actually going to be my very first interview, and I am so excited because, number one, she is going to be essentially my guinea pig for me as a host. Um, I even did not give her a lot of prep time. She agreed to do this in one phone call, Um, and so I am just so excited to have my sister joining me and we are going to talk about being a support system for foster families. Elizabeth, let's go way back. Let's go back six and a half years to when I first wanted, in fact, that's probably more, it was probably seven years to when I first started talking about getting licensed um, to be a foster parent. What did you think um, when I shared that? Oh, goodness. Um, I cannot believe it's been that long, to be perfectly honest. On the one hand, it feels like you started fostering a week ago. And on the other hand, it feels like it's been a part of our lives for our entire lives. Um, I think whenever you initially told me, I was excited for you because I knew that it was something that you would excel at and it was something that, that kids could really use. But on the other hand, I did not understand how on earth you were going to juggle a full-time job, owning your own home, and then throwing children into the mix as a single person with no husband in the home to support you. And seven years later, I kind of still don't know how you do it, Um, but that was my initial thought. (laughs) Well, that's funny because I have to say seven years ago, I think I bought the house and literally the month that I bought my very first house was when I went into the defects office and they looked at me like I was crazy because I was 25 and I look much younger. Um, And I said, I want to be a foster parent. And they did not take me seriously. They actually almost laughed me out the door until I wouldn't take no for an answer. And then they agreed to do the initial um, orientation with me. And by the end of that, they knew I was serious. But I think that they um, asked the very same questions that you did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's crazy because now you're the second longest um, active foster home in your area. So just kind of crazy. I know. I feel like I I proved them wrong, which I'm a little proud of. And also, I think it makes me a little bit a level of crazy. Um. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Agreed. Yes. So we have both um, as nannies, our backgrounds, I was a nanny first and then you became a nanny actually after I ended. And then you were a nanny for more years than I was. So our background has always been, and I want to say this in the nicest way possible, but essentially raising other people's children. Yeah. Um, loving other people's children, essentially. That's probably a much better way to put that. (laughs) (laughs) So did it, did you think that I had the parenting thing down or was it more like logistics of how does she do this as a single parent? Did you even understand kind of what foster care was going to be? Um, oh, goodness. So as far as 
being a parent, I knew you would knock that out of the park. I knew you had the experience. I knew you had the heart for it. Um, you know, you and I were essentially raised by our parents, specifically our mother, to to be very involved in in other people's lives, but specifically in the childcare arena. I mean, we were babysitting since we like came out of the womb, I think. <laughs> so like, as far as that goes, I knew that, that you'd be a great fit as a foster mom. Um, the, what was the rest of the question? Oh boy. I know right now you're already lost. This is, this is why that we are testing this out <laughs> yeah. on you. Whoops. And this part will probably be edited out. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we are not professional podcasters, people. So please forgive us for our um, mistakes. I should have been writing notes. <laughs> yes. And I'm already realizing that I'm saying um all the time. I'm sure that's going to be very annoying to try and fix in editing if I even bother to fix it. That's fine. I mean, live and learn, right? Actually, I feel like that should really be the motto for foster parents. Live and learn. True that. Oh, your question was, did I realize what foster care was? And the answer was, I was 100% certain that I knew what foster care was. And now I am 100% certain that I knew nothing. It is, <laughs> it is completely different. The entire, I guess, culture of the fostering world, of the broken families, of the process and the government's um, influence in the children's lives is completely different than I had anticipated. What did you think, kind of from an outsider's perspective, um, with, I mean, no training, um, what did you think ideally foster care was? I thought foster care was, I, I guess, I saw it as two different scenarios, which I guess on some front I'm correct in, but I saw it as either kids are being taken out of a terribly unsafe, abusive, neglectful, terrible, like horrific place, placed into foster care where they stay through court proceedings and then they get adopted. Or I saw it as um, a place where like there's an, there's an upset, the government isn't quite sure what happens, so they go into foster care for a short term while everything is resolved and then the kids go home. And I guess the true answer is a form of both of those things, but so many more dynamics to it than I ever could have anticipated. So you have basically been my sounding board through all these years, and I've called you to complain about the government. I've called to share with you um, when the kids have been successful in things, when I've been frustrated with case plans. You've kind of been the person who has walked um, maybe not in person because you do live and have always lived across the country from me. Very sad. Um, in our adult lives. Yeah. Yes. But you have definitely heard all of, all of everything. Let's just say, yeah. um, do you think that you could have imagined the stories and you've met most of my kids as well? Um, they all know you actually as aunt Libba, yep. um, because that's just who you are to them. You are an aunt. Um, so do you feel like you were prepared to be as invested and involved in my foster children's lives as you have been? Absolutely not. I didn't think 
that I would be involved in your kids' lives. I think because of the distance, I figured it wouldn't be necessary. It wouldn't be needed. Um, and I honestly, I didn't think you would have kids for the length of time that you have had some of these children. And, you know, the main reason that a lot of your children know me is because I may only visit once or twice a year. But when you have kids for 18 months, you know, usually I know a group of kids and then because I've met them. And then when when they leave your home for whatever the next step is, they actually talk about me to the next kids. So when I show up, they already knew who I am because I was connected to the previous kids. That's true. I really have never thought about it. But the timelines of, um, and I guess for everyone listening that you don't know, I take females specifically, um, but I can take up to six children. So many, many times I have taken sets of sisters. So I will get two and then three months later, I'll have another two or another four join us um, in some cases. So you're right. They do stair step kind of in and out of um, our lives and then in meeting you. Very true. And and I have tried to make an effort of being a part of their lives as I've seen kind of more more of what foster care is and more of the stories that these kids have. And I don't know. I don't know all of these kids' stories because you are very respectful of honoring their privacy. A lot of them are old enough to share their story if they want to. A lot of them have been teenagers. Um, and so whenever I meet them, whenever I talk to them, I basically take the approach of loving them and treating them as if they were your biological children with no past. And if they choose to tell me something, I try to treat that in a respectful way, but a lot of them have shared bits and pieces, um, but I'm also fully aware that I don't know the full story to most of them. Well, I think this leads us into a, what I really wanted to talk about today, which is being a support system for a foster family. You know, it's funny because I was thinking in preparation for our talk, I was thinking about how everyone in the system has training to some degree, right? As foster parents, we have an overwhelming amount of training and continuing training um, as we're licensed every year. There are caseworkers and judges and counselors. The children um, even have counseling or coping skills, lessons, independent living programs. It seems like everyone who is touched in the foster care world has trainings for what they are becoming. But when we talk about if, I mean, if you talk to anyone in the foster care community as a foster parent or a foster home, they're going to tell you the number one thing that keeps them going and keeps them from either disrupting or closing their home are their support systems in place. But there is very, very limited training or even talking about what makes a good support system? How can you support a foster family well? And what does that look like in real life? And that's kind of what I wanted just to talk about today, because I feel like this is kind of a very undervalued topic. There is no training for your extended family when you raise your hand and you say, I'm going to be a foster parent. There aren't resources out there that will tell you, okay, great, here's how we can come along beside you. Here's what, you know, what we're going to be doing. Um, and I think that's a really interesting kind of gap in, in the foster care world. For sure. It's a lot like when somebody joins the military and that's their choice, um, but it affects their entire family, their extended family, their friends. And, you know, even if you support them and you're super, super thankful for it, 
it is a steep learning curve as you figure out this new culture, because the deeper you go into the foster care world, the more you realize how much of a need there is. And you come to a point where you realize that you can't fill all of those needs and you can't save anybody. Um, you know, you can, you as the foster parent and the foster homes can do what they can to, to try and support these children and give them the resources that they can, uh, that they need to succeed. Um, but especially as someone who's trying to support that foster parent, it feels like this huge wave of never ending need that you're dealing with and and coping with. And then that also kind of boils down on this side of, of feeling like it's never enough. Like I could never support you enough. I could never encourage you enough because, because that need is so overwhelming. Well, that is so true. And I think on the flip side, foster parents, we are hit by waves of need. And then Either we're doing a bad job and we aren't passing off some of those needs onto our support system. So we bottle up inside and that's when things like disruptions happen or homes close because we didn't even seek out the support and the resources that we needed in order to be effective in what we do. So let's switch gears here a little bit and talk about practical stuff because you know me, I can never have a discussion without actually wanting a list. I'm a very type A personality. As you know, yep. you have been a part of my list for many, many Love years. it so much. So let's really get down to the practical. And I want you to talk to, let's say, an extended family of someone who is just being licensed right now. And they are so excited. They are just waiting for that first placement phone call. And then it happens. They have their first child, or in some cases, their first children placed with them, and they are texting their family. What do you see should be the first move or the first support that should be offered to a new foster family? Uh, send them a meal. A step, <laughs> step one for anybody going through anything, feed them. Don't ask. Don't don't ask how you can help. Don't ask what they want to eat. Literally ship a pizza to their door, make a lasagna, drop it off on their doorstep. Because I feel like cooking is so overwhelming. And in the, in the times that I've experienced you getting children, what, what these new foster parents don't realize is that that call is going to come late at night, if not in the middle Mm -hmm. of the night. And very, very true. And not only will you not have everything that you need, clothing, toothbrush, hairbrush, like all of those things, but you're also dealing with children that are severely traumatized and they just need comfort food. They're going to be hungry. The foster parent is going to be hungry by the time other people are hearing about this. And I think one of the easiest things that people can do is step in and just provide a meal. Um, Second to that, I would say it's important when you're supporting foster families to follow their lead. So often I think the new foster families are full of hope and excitement and, you know, it's okay to feed into that and be excited for them. But there's also going to be times where they're, they're frustrated and they're depressed and they're thinking, you know, can I keep doing this? And it's okay to kind of come alongside them. Then they don't need that bubbling excitement. They may need someone to sit there and go, I get it. It's hard. Um, I love that. That is that is so true. Sometimes not having the answers because we don't we don't have the answers in our kids cases or, you know, control 
over many things in our kids' lives. And sometimes just having your support say, you know what, I hear you. And not trying to offer advice or, you know, a solution, um, but just kind of sitting there with you. For sure. Yeah. And the meal, that is great. In fact, I, I've always thought it was interesting that when a new baby in, let's say, the average way comes, they, a new family gets a shower, sometimes multiple ones. They have, you know, weeks of meals provided to them, either through family or their local church or their friend group. Yep. And it seems always odd to me that when a foster family has a new placement in very unexpected um, times, without any warning, um, you can tell people that you have a new placement. And the reaction is not very helpful yeah. in the majority of times. It's most like, wow, they either want to know the, let's say, salacious details of their case, or they just are like, good luck, you're going to do great. And you're left kind of thinking, I know I'm going to do great because I'm ready for this. I'm trained, I, you know, whatever, but I really could use more than that. For sure. And I think it's, it's partly because it's not talked about too much and also probably partly that people who go into foster care as a general rule are people who love to help other people. And they are the last people to vocalize that they need help themselves. And so it's not talked about often on how stressful placements are. I know about it because obviously, like you've said, you know, I've been your sounding board. I've been the person hearing about it the next day when you're like, oh, my gosh, you wouldn't believe this phone call I got at midnight about this kid. Um, But I think a lot of people don't understand uh, how traumatizing it is for everyone involved, for the caseworkers walking into the home, for the kids being pulled out of their home, and then for the foster family who's having to kind of put the pieces together. And try to create a safe place for often children. It's usually a group, you know, but sometimes a single kid and, and be everything that they need while also realizing that now they have a child full of trauma in their home who's going to need a lot of help. Well, I'm wondering, who do you think, let's say that you've been a foster family, either you've had your first placement and now you're, you're moving on to your second or your third or in my case, years later, 57, 58, you know, whatever. Um, I guess my question is, who do you think has the responsibility to take that step of, I'm sharing that I have a new placement. Should I, as the foster parent, be the one that, you know, sends out the SOS? Hey, I have a new foster placement. I really could use this. Or does over time, do you think that the burden should be on the support system? I think it's probably a bit of both. Um, Honestly, unfortunately, like you mentioned, it's just it's just commonly known in our culture that if somebody has a baby, uh, everyone understands that. Like everyone has either had a child or been directly exposed to someone who's had a child, but not a ton of people are all that connected or familiar with foster care. So they don't really understand innately what it's like to get a placement or how exhausting it can be. And honestly, on that front, very few people can relate to living as a single adult, let alone a single adult in the foster care world. So you kind of have both things going at you. You know, you don't have the privilege of being a stay-at-home mom that has more time or energy maybe to devote 
um, whenever you're working a full-time job on top of it. But I think I think it's important for foster care families to be willing to reach out to people and just say, hey, look, I'm overwhelmed or I, I need respite care. Use respite care. It's in the foster care system for a reason. Don't feel guilty. Talk your kids through it, that you still love them, but but use it. Take that break. Um, but it's also on on the shoulders and the responsibility of those of us who who are supporting the people in the foster homes, running the foster homes to be aware. And often I have found um, to just do things. Don't ask. I mean, you can, but when is a meal or an Amazon box of toilet paper, toothbrushes and hairbrushes ever frowned upon? That is literally my, and thank you then. Never mind. I was thinking of a cartoon that says <laughs> that, but that is one of my most favorite ways to be supported are those unexpected packages in the mail. I think the last one was when my um, my five-year-old and eight-month-old were placed with me a little over a month ago. And within one week, we received a box after probably many Marco Polos of me complaining about I don't have anything for them <laughs> to keep the five-year-old entertained. Um, a box showed up on my doorstep and in it, it had candy for me as a stress relief. Thank you. You know that sugar is my gateway drug to stress relief. Um, it had Play-Doh. It had so many things to keep the five-year-old entertained. Crafts that we could do together, baby toys, baby snacks were fantastic. Um, just that box of items made all of us feel so loved. And it also opened the door to me telling the kids about Aunt Libba, explaining who you were, showing pictures, and that concrete example of them having things that they could touch and know wow, there's this person out there who loves Amber and now loves us just because we live with her. I think that is a really, a really awesome way to introduce yourself to my kids, yeah. but also to show them that this is kind of what family should look like. Exactly. And I feel like often by supporting you, I am also supporting the kids by showing them this is what a healthy relationship looks like. I'm not preaching at them. I'm not sitting that 13-year-old down being like, look, you are not living your sister. You need to love your sister better. You know, instead, I'm I'm <laughs> trying to show up and show them that that a healthy family relationship doesn't manipulate each other. A healthy family relationship supports each other and loves each other and can laugh with each other. And reaches out and says, you know, what do you guys need? Um, and I'm hoping to be that example to the kids um, while I'm also supporting you. And I think that kind of leads us into the next part, which is extended family members' relationship with um, a foster family's mm -hmm. children. So it is a big question in the foster care world. And maybe it's not a question. Um, I feel like there's probably answers and sometimes it's not the right answer because I see many, many times there are two groups. There are the groups that have a very supportive extended family. And then there are the groups whose extended family, less than supportive is probably a kind way to put for sure. it. Sometimes they actively work against the foster families for various reasons. Maybe they think, you know. They've seen the grief yep. that comes when a foster child is able to reunify and you have to say goodbye. Or they've seen the injustice of the foster care system. 
or perhaps they've even unfortunately seen the bad side, which is a destructive kid who has somehow done harmful things in the foster home. And it's hard for them to come back and be be supportive after seeing all that, after hearing all of that. What would you say to a foster family that is struggling with not only foster care, but now they're having to battle the emotional response of their extended family who are being less than supportive? Oh, first, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry because it's a reality for a lot of people. I, the first thing that I would probably say to them is remember to have compassion. Your family members, if they were supportive and now they're not because of all of these things, they're going through a grieving process. And like I said before, this isn't something that the family signed up for. So um, it's going to take them probably a little bit longer to, to work through the grief and work through the reality of the situation than maybe the foster parent who came into it with a little bit more eyes wide open or with a heart that really wanted to help the children. Um, I I always am a a big supporter of communication. If you have a family member who's not being supportive of you, be willing to ask them why and just shut up and listen. Don't try and change their mind. Don't try and tell them your point of view, like really listen to them, listen to their heart and hear what their problems are with it. You know, do they feel like your biological children aren't getting enough attention because you have these foster children who need a lot of attention? Um, Are they are they concerned about your safety because you have, you know, aggressive teenagers in the home? You know, what are their concerns and are they legitimate? Some of them may be. And you may need to take that advice or that. I don't consult to heart and see if there are some changes that you can make to make your home a little bit healthier, a little bit safer. Um, You know, at the end of the day, I wish all family members would be supportive because there are going to be ups and downs. There's going to be bumps in the road. You know, our family has gone through, I'm going to have to try not to cry, immense grief in the past six months due to foster care. And it will continue. And they'll keep breaking our hearts. But at the end of the day, it's worth it. It's worth it for the children. It's worth it for uh, you as the foster parent who feels truly called to this life. Um, So I really do think it's important for the family members, despite the pain and despite um, all of the negative things that you see, it's, it's worth having people willing to step up into these kids' lives and In my experience watching your foster children, they almost value the extended family as much as they do you. Um, Oh, absolutely. My kids have been so close to all of my family because I think it's very obvious that we don't put barriers or labels on the different people. I mean, our family is kind of a mixed bag, Mm -hmm. right? We have adopted um, children in our family. We have biological. We have foster. We have, hey, you're just here for a couple of months. Uh, I feel like we have the entire grab bag and everyone is treated like family. Sometimes they appreciate that and sometimes they do not. (laughs) Um, But our family especially, it's just this giant mix of so many different stories and different ways that we got to each other but we're very accepting. And I think that's been one of the biggest reasons I have been able to do it as a single foster parent. I may be a single foster parent, but I'm not alone in all of this. Very true. And, and I always, 
like from day one, I've always had the mentality that every single child that comes into your home is now my niece. Um, I'm their aunt for life, which means that I'm now the proud aunt of very many children. But <laughs> but whenever I see them, whenever I interact with them on Marco Polo or I'm FaceTiming them, um, that's what I try to bring across to them is that that I'm in your corner. And especially for the older kids, I cannot tell you how many times I've looked them in the face and said, I get that you're going to choose your bio mom and dad. Even though they're not making healthy choices, even though they're making bad choices, I get that you choose them and that doesn't limit my love for you. You can walk back to them and I will still love you for life. And, and I've noticed as those kids are kind of growing up and I'm connecting with a couple of them on social media, they're quick to reach back to me because they don't feel like I made them choose and they know that I love them no matter what they're going to do. And I feel like that's very important for them because most of them have family members that, that manipulate them and abuse them. And they're not shown that type of unconditional love and support in their um, biological family, usually. And that brings up such a good point about, I think for foster families listening, allowing your children to have their own relationships with in your family. I cannot be the go-between between you and my kids forever. Now, of course, to a certain point, I'm what you have in yeah. common at first. And when they're younger, I'm obviously the one who is kind of the gateway. But after a certain point, you have been really great about developing your own relationship with each of my girls. And that yep. looks different for each one of them, depending on their personality, how old they are, and what they really are right. able to give you. Um, but you have definitely taken a personal interest in all of them. And I've had to step back. And as a parent, maybe this comes more naturally um, if they're your own children. But I've had to take a step back and say, you know, I want them to have as many healthy loving relationships in their life as possible there is not in this world a point where I'm going to say nope you have too many people who love you care about you and want the best for you that's that's never going to happen in a parent's life but sometimes I do think it is hard for parents to let go and see they are not the end-all be-all for their children sometimes they do need more people Sometimes you can have conversations with my foster daughters that maybe they're not ready to have with me or that we've had and now they want to talk to you and have another perspective. And I just think that's so important as foster parents that we are being intentional about our children developing these relationships outside of having to go through us. For sure. And I think everyone involved needs to come to terms with the fact that this is a temporary relationship, you know. I am in and out of your girls' lives. As they get older and um, get social media and get their own phones, even the ones that have um, gone back to their parents or their homes, I found that they still want to reach back out. Um, But that may take a couple of years or never for some children. Um, But having, having that expectation that I know this is temporary and I know that my relationship with this child who I love dearly will be severed in a year when they get reunified, but it's still worth it. It's still worth it to them to have, like, you can't, you can't ever be too attached. Like these kids need that. They need 
they need that attachment. They need that love, especially in this period of life where everything is so uncertain. You know, their parents are good one week and bad the next. And they just like, first you're going home, then you're not. And it's so much uncertainty. And I think it's important for them to, to feel that connection and that attachment, even though it's going to hurt later on down the road. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of people, a lot of family members to people doing the fostering tend to pull away because after they get attached and hurt once or twice, they don't want to feel that anymore. And, and I guess what I would say is work through your grief, push into the pain, um, but keep going. These kids need it way more than, than is commonly known, I think. Yeah, and I think we both agree that we should be willing to go through that pain of attachment and then the grief of the loss because it's worth it to feel that grief because then they got the chance to feel that love. And that is what makes the difference. We are adults. A lot of us have been raised in healthy homes or like right. healthier homes than our children. We have more skills and more capability to deal with the grief. What we should not do is put up a wall that essentially blocks out the grief and not attached to these children because we're always going to For regret sure. I that. agree with that 100%. Well, I want to thank you for talking to me, for agreeing to be my very first interview. Let me ask you this. Is there anything else that you would say to the extended family or the support systems of foster families? Um, do something. Um, make it practical. I, I cannot stress this enough. Send them things. If you live local, drop off food, um, bring over diapers, bring over toilet paper, Um take the kids for a night. Like, I think, I think what the support systems can do is so simple, but it means the world to the people who are in the trenches, overwhelmed and exhausted. So it's not often huge things are super expensive, but you know, buckle down and do something, support them as best you can. And often that starts with just buying them toilet paper and a meal. I love that. That should be a new motto for a campaign. Yeah, do exactly. Something. And I think a lot of people just don't know what to do. And so, and so they don't act and they don't realize how easy it can be. And thankfully Amazon has, well, once this pandemic is over, Amazon has made everything very easy, you know, and in two days you can ship somebody a box full of kids, toys and wipes and snacks and all kinds of fun things for relatively cheap. And it takes very little effort on our part, but the, the love that the foster parents feel and the excitement that the foster children feel, I think is, is so worth it. That is fantastic advice. Okay. We are going to wrap up and I'm going to ask you um, some okay. questions that I ask everyone. The first one is where are you? Oh, I am from? sitting in my guest room bed right now in Tacoma, Washington. All right. And this may not impact you as much as foster parents, but you've heard me talk enough about the challenges of the system. So if you could advocate for one change in the foster care system, what would it be? To give every child a voice, no matter their age, to, to ask them what they want, to ask them what they think 
and to act on it. That is great advice. (laughs) It's a a theme I've seen over and over with your girls where they feel like they can't have an opinion about their future and they feel like they can't even tell the truth about what's happened in the home, good or bad, because nobody believes them. So I I wish every child could have a voice that could be heard and acted on. And I love that because that's really what this podcast, I want it to be about. I want it to be about the voices who have been impacted by foster care, telling their real stories, getting the truth behind it. Maybe it's going to be messy. Maybe their story is not a feel-good story, or maybe it is. But just giving people a voice and a platform to share that voice, because I think it is just so important because you can learn something from anyone. If you just take the time for sure. And this is an area of our world and our culture here in America that isn't talked about very often. We don't often hear from children who have been adopted or children who have been reunified and and let them tell their story so that we can see is the system even working? What can we do to support these children when they're 10 or 11? You know, we figured that out by talking to the child who's now 25 who lived it. Absolutely. That's is great. I love it. All right. Well, thank you again for being a guest on this podcast. I am so excited that you are my so very I, first before you get famous. And <laughs> um, well, I think famous is going to be a very <laughs> loose term, but maybe podcast famous. I don't know. Is are there any podcasts that are legitimately? I mean, have famous? you heard of the crime ones? Yes, very famous. I mean, I feel like the crime ones are only famous because we listen to no, them. No, it's so a thing. We think they're me. famous. Okay. All right. You're the big sister. I'm going to go with it. We're going we're gonna to take your Perfect. opinion. I'm going to look it up, though, okay. later. You try and do that. You wrong. <laughs> All right. Good night. Well, friends, we reached the end of the podcast, and I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode and taking time out of your day to share in these stories with me. If you would just take a little bit more time out of your day and share this episode so that other people could reach it, I would really appreciate it. I hope you'll let me know if you have any questions for my guest today. You can contact me through Instagram under fostercare underscore stories, and you can connect with any one of my guests using the show notes. I will link all of their social media um, and where you can find them online. Again, thank you so much for joining me today and listening in. I hope you guys have an amazing day.